Well, we're back with episode four of the X and Halo podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Williams. So glad you could be here today. We've got a fantastic show planned. A dear friend of mine is going to be on with us. But first, uh, uh, some news on the podcast. Our podcast is doing fantastic. We've only had three episodes. We're in the new and noteworthy section. As we said last time, we're blowing up. I would love for you guys, if you're excited, if you love the podcast, to go out and leave a review. That will help us out, whether that's you know on your blog, on social media, post it there, or even just old-fashioned on iTunes. That would be huge. Weird fact of the day, though. Uh, we're having a military-themed guest on... And you'll see why shortly. But did you know that only 30 of our 43 presidents served in the army? I should say, I said only. I mean, 30? That's a lot, right? I mean, that's what I thought. 30 of the 43 presidents served in the army during the time of war. Two earned the rank of five-star general. That's President George Washington and President Eisenhower. And one earned Medal of Honor, and that's President Theodore Roosevelt. Pretty crazy. Another weird fact. Bonus weird fact. Less than 28% of Americans between the ages of 17 and 23 are actually qualified for military service. That's only one in four. Less than one in four. So, you know, if you're worried about the draft and, oh my gosh, you know, if the draft happens, which I don't think we're worried about that in America anymore, but if you were, you could rest assured that you're probably not qualified for military service. (laughs) So anyway, on to the show. Our guest is David Vobora. David is a friend of mine. He is a five-year veteran of the NFL. He was a four-year letterman at the University of Idaho. He was also drafted Mr. Irrelevant. That's the last pick in the 2008 draft. I remember watching that. It was crazy. And he was actually the first Mr. Irrelevant to start several games in the NFL, which is awesome. Upon retiring from the NFL, David opened Performance Vault. It was a for-profit gym that offered individual and customized performance training for elite athletes, but he met a man named Travis Mills in 2014. He was a retired U.S. Army Staff Sergeant and a quadruple amputee. As he began working with him, he got a heart for military uh, people that were injured, quadruple, quadriplegics, um, people that were amputees, and decided he wanted to make this a not-for-profit. So in 2014, he founded the Adaptive Training Foundation that became a 501c3 that was tax-exempt. Now the the, the program offers a nine-week intensive training program to restore, recalibrate, and redeploy these athletes to inspire and achieve the impossible. I'm sure you guys are going to love this show. I caught myself choking up a little bit. It's a fantastic show. So without any delay, here is our guest, David Vibora. I've always had this passion for human performance. I love the gym. Uh, white guy in the NFL, you know, endangered species. So I always had to know the how, the why, the what of my training to, to last. And I was, you know, constantly an athlete that prided myself on the hard work to get me over the top. Um, and so I, I decided, well, you know, maybe I could launch a gym. Maybe, maybe that would kind of fuel this fire and I could coach and also maybe have a little bit more time as I develop my business uh, for my family. So moved to Dallas, Texas, and um, w- which is where my wife's family is and we had our little girls. So um, moved here and just sort of went for it. I, I, I launched Performance Vault, uh, for-profit gym here in downtown Dallas, uh, mostly centered around elite athletes, NFL guys, college prep for the combine, started meeting some Olympians and, and training them. And honestly, it was going very, very well. And about, gosh, about a year into that, I met a quadruple amputee. 
I met Staff Sergeant Travis Mills. Travis Mills is one of five living quadruple amputees that suffered a traumatic injury, losing all four limbs. And uh, it, it was like the smoking hot girl across the bar. Like I, I saw this guy on on prosthetics, and he was balancing and moving, and I, and I just I, I was just drawn to him. And, and boldly, I just walked directly up to him and I said, "Brother, I got to know your story." Um, and so he started to talk to me and tell me about what happened and, and the things he's overcome and what he still does. He drives, he does this, he does that. And I was just, it was a profound moment for me. And he asked for a recommendation for a trainer. And I said, yeah, I got one. It's me. <laughs> he said, oh, you have experience. I said, no, um, not exactly. But I, I promise I'll tirelessly research uh, and customize everything to you. Um, you know, you willing to take a chance on me. And uh, sure enough, he did. And so we started this journey. And, 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 and by training Travis, I started training more wounded warriors and then civilians with traumatic injuries from car accidents or people born with degenerative diseases and so on. And uh, about six months of training for about 30 hours a week without charging these people because I, I genuinely knew they deserved it. And I saw what was happening with them mentally and physically. Awesome. And um, it, I just didn't feel good about charging them. So my wife, God bless her, was like, you know, hey, you're committing a lot of time to this. Like, we still got to make this provision for our family somehow. <laughs> so, um, being mindful of that, we launched the Adaptive Training Foundation, five hundred one C three, and uh, man, that was a year ago this past week, and it has exploded. So, I, I I couldn't have predicted this. Again, I felt like God put Travis in my life that day, and and I got another you know fifty stories like that. Um, and that's, I, I believe is, is, is cause in this moment when I was said, is it coaching? Is it, is it, is it front office? What am I supposed to do? I said, God, just give me discernment, make it really, really clear, laughably clear and, and be careful what you pray for because <laughs> dude, he just went boom, opportunity, 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 this person, that person. And Dallas is a very special community that's behind this type of thing. And boom, we're here today. It's exploded. And now I, uh, just trying to learn how to manage, and discern from what's a now, what's a not right now, what's a no. Wow, wow, man, and that's that's and you are getting a ton of media attention. I mean, you're you know you're on Fox, and you know the, between interview, radio interviews, and maybe podcasts mm-hmm. like this. I mean, I'm glad there's exposure for something like this. Tell me this, you know, as you're working through that 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 transition period where you know your wife is kind of tapping on your shoulder. Okay, you've got to bring home some money at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You you talked a little bit about it. Tell me a little bit about the vision behind this. What really stoked the fire? Because to me, this doesn't seem like something you could just start for money, right? Right. And, you know, there's no mission without a margin. I've got a really wise mentor who told me that. And, um, you know, to make this thing responsible and, and make it a program. At first it was, a, hey, let's start a nonprofit. We can get some funds in so that there's a, a source of income for this training. And then I realized that was short-sighted and there was such a vast need for this populace that I needed to widen my aperture for what I believed in. And, and what it all comes back to is this. When I met Travis, I asked him one simple question when we started. And I said, hey, what are you most afraid of? And he said, "Um, well, I got no arms, no legs. Gravity catches up pretty quick. I'm scared of falling. And I said, okay, well, that's where we're going to start. I I said, I wanted to take him to to the most vulnerable place. And so at times I used bands to catch him from falling. At other times I used my hands. and, and, And quite often I actually allowed him to fall. So back then, if you would have been walking through my gym, I would have looked like the world's worst trainer letting a quadruple amputee slap <laughs> on the floor. Sure. Um, but there was all purpose in it. And again, I'm a real big believer in, in uh, 
purposeful pain, good pain to push out bad pain. And, and if, if we're allowed to fail safely, um, we can find out what our capacity is and then we know how to go beyond it. So with Travis, um, he suddenly learned how to control his momentum, how to kind of like the martial artist, you know, use the momentum and transfer it. And, and or a, I, this is not a great example, but the drunk driver in the crash who's relaxed is rarely injured. Um, and so that's what I did with Travis. We, we got his balance better. We got his core strength, his inner core strength strong. Um, and then he was no longer fearful of falling and he had the stability uh, and balance to hold himself up in planes of motion that he didn't have before because he wasn't willing to test those. So yeah. um, what an amazing metaphor for life, right? That, that's, that's the beautiful thing that this, is, this foundation has taught me. And I think it continually teaches me and, and it fuels that fire you mentioned. It's, it's about... I know that what makes me uncomfortable, what's hard is where I need to go to grow. And uh, that's, mm. that, you know, there's, there's no, life is a journey with no destination, right? You're just trying to become a better version of yourself every day. And I, I always say, you know, you're trying to become a little bit more like Christ every day, bouncing from X to X. Mm. And, and um, that roadmap for me is, is a daily, you know, surrendering and, and I get a visual picture of what these guys go through in the gym and that sweat, the willingness to go and push themselves and really become a psychologist that uses sweat instead of just a strength and conditioning. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it, man. And there's such a, a an awesome vision behind what you're doing. Uh, and, and you talked a little bit about tackling their fears, right? I mean, give me, this is maybe for my own curiosity, but when you're dealing with some of these athletes these or these ex-wounded warriors, um, they're coming back. I mean, what are some of the biggest barriers for them to actually defeating their fears? Yeah, so I think, you know, as men, and we have men and women, but as men especially, or, or as warriors or athletes, we, we're supposed to have this machismo, right? We're supposed to not show pain and not be weak and, and not talk about it. And so um, at the foundation, it, it's big about getting these guys out of isolation. And so, um, you know, it's veterans and civilians. The veterans need to be around the civilians to realize that they're not far from reintegrating back into society. And the civilians need to be around the veterans because uh, they get to see what real grit looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the idea that um, the training that we do is more than physical is, is the biggest piece that I think makes this thing so powerful. So mm-hmm. I, if I just give them uh, less body fat and if I just get them better mobility, um, yeah, we're effectively – uh, improving on what the gym can offer. But if we're not feeding their soul, if we're not making them realize that their adversity that they face is actually what makes them unique so it can be a launching pad and that they can become a force multiplier for change and for good and, and what they can do. You know, Eddie, you and I heard quite often in the league, you know, you're your own brand, you're developing your brand. And, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, during that, when I'd hear that, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know the David Bohr brand. I'm a football player. Um, <laughs> But these guys, I'm starting to get them to realize like, hey, if you want to provision for yourself through public speaking or, or, or have a book or you know, ha- find a job that's fulfilling, well, yeah, there's a lot of good veteran organizations. They give guys jobs. They give guys houses. They take them fishing. And, and those are all great. Uh, but what we do is a program that is a lifestyle change. So we do nine weeks with them. We, we, we get into the water with them and we walk through some of the hard stuff and we go through that adversity together. Uh, because when they come out the other side, they suddenly realize that their gifts and talents and what they're still here for was actually intended on being leveraged for someone else's needs. Man, when that when that paradigm shifts, there is there's nothing more powerful than seeing a bunch of people 
with a common goal and it has mm-hmm. nothing to do to better about bettering um, themselves selfishly. It's about, I'm going to become a better version of me so I can collectively help my tribe and the whole of my community because I'm an example of what it looks like to push through, even though I have every possible excuse if I wanted to. Wow. And this is unusual, right? Most gyms, you, you walk into a gym or rehabilitation clinic, like you mentioned, it's purely physical. If you're in a yeah. hospital, we're helping you three times a week, four times a week, five times a week, helping yep. you work on your physical traits and physical goals. If you walk into a 24-hour fitness as a normal person, you get a personal trainer. It's purely physical. This is psychological. It's mm-hmm. mental. It's spiritual. You're changing these people from the inside out. And so they're not just getting better, better physically. Uh, the man you let fall over, the, the quadruplant amputee. It's not just a physical, it's, it's a mental work. And so yeah. I think um, that's, that's how you're changing the game, man. You're, yeah, you're, we, it's a recipe and I'm working on a, a curriculum to you know basically certify trainers nationally in this methodology. But the methodology isn't just, uh, hey, what's the assessment? How do we start training? It, it's again, it's talking about the way the way that you speak to them, what's the vernacular? What's the what are the pressure points when you use their words? So in our application, they have to fill out kind of what their goals are. And our program does this. We talk about restore, recalibrate, redeploy. And the restoration happens with a chance at optimization through an individualized custom training protocol. The the recalibration happens as we're taking ground on those goals, right? As we're improving in in uh, lowering pain scale and functional strength and, and flexibility in this, all those kind of quantitative things. Uh, but then the qualitative piece is the redeploy. So now we want them to take who they've become, both physically and emotionally, they're empowered, right? And that mm-hmm. empowered person can go out and now they compete in a local, a regional, and a national competition. And we've got guys, got guys doing Ironman and doing Paralympics. So you've got a guy who's going to be the first ever double amputee to summit Antarctica, which is <laughs> insane. Um, but th- these are high, high profile things, but we also have a, like a guy the other day said to me, Hey man, I, I think I'm finally willing to go to marriage counseling with my wife and man, like wow. I, I still get goosebumps because the thing is, is it, it doesn't matter. It's not equal contribution. It's equal sacrifice. And that, mm. that is so powerful when you get a guy that says, man, look, I'm actually, I'm aware now of what I've been avoiding. And so, uh, now I actually feel like I have the strength I- I- to attack it. Amazing. Amazing story. Okay. On the practical level, take me through, you've got a quadruple amputee. Now, if I had one of those walking, I've done a little bit of personal training. There is literally, I have literally no idea what to do with them. Right. Yeah. So, so take me through kind of an average workout you do with one of them. Yeah. So again, what we do is not rehab. So we, we come into the picture after the hospital kind of protocol and then the rehabilitation process. That's when, we, that's when we come in and we say, Look, these guys, they could go to a typical gym and get on a machine and do the things. And one, it's not ideal for them to compete and push themselves, but it's also uh, difficult because people constantly come up to these guys and they say, you're such an inspiration. Thank you for your service. And as, as honorable as that is and as nice as that is, it's, it's patronizing them. Um, and it's also interrupting them 30 times within a workout. So uh, what this is is like a sanctuary, and, and where we start is always – the center. It's always the core. People ask me, well, how'd you get into this adaptive training? Bill Bowerman once said, the human body, if you have a human body, you're an athlete. And that's, that to me is the truth. Whether you're out competing at a high level or just um, going for a jog, I mean, you're, you're doing athletic movements, so you're an athlete. So if I had, you know, Eddie, if I had you in to train and you just had your knee scoped and you're playing for the Seahawks, 
I would, we'd still find optimization in that workout in that day, even if we had to adapt or modify some of the training around what was happening in your body. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the fact that they're missing a leg or that they have a spinal cord injury, can't move that leg. Well, what's the difference? So the, the critical piece here is always the core. If you're a, a living, breathing human being, uh, your core is stabilizing your spine and your pelvis. Even a quadriplegic um, has involuntary core muscles that he may not be able to actively contract, but um, they are protecting his spine. They are sending signals, and they are absolutely making sure um, that there's still balance through the trunk. And that balancing of the pelvis uh, is critical to even the digestive system. So uh, the same way that the digestive system works, like the sphincter muscle, is an involuntary contraction. Um, now, there's an inner inner core muscle, the transverse abdominis, that functions similar to that sphincter. So if if that is activated through diaphragmatic breathing, um, you know, through the simplest of methods, we can actually begin to strengthen the core from the innermost uh, piece and then out to the outer layers. And and this is Again, what we're doing with them from a, a, a personal and a psychological level, at the same time we're doing it from the physical. So quadruple amputee, where do you start? Well, you start at the core. Quadruple amputee, all he's got is trunk anyway. Um, right. but, but that's the center point for everyone. So we start at the core, um, and then we work out. And, and again, maybe it's a spinal cord injury, and he doesn't have the capacity to use his legs, so we're going to focus more on the upper body. But what makes us slightly different on a program level is – you know, CrossFit, for example, they're doing some adaptive stuff, but they're focused around, hey, this is the guy's limitations. Here's what he can do. We're going to program for what he can do. I always talk about focusing on what the impairment is affecting, the weaknesses. So we want to identify asymmetry or imbalance, and we want to bring the sum of the whole uh, to the best optimization. So I want to try to make sure that uh, we're correcting uh, imbalances and we're, and we're making sure that we're taking ground toward whatever the physical impairment is because when we frame it like that, when it's me talking to, to Joe and I'm talking to Joe and we're talking about attacking what his injury stole from him, man, suddenly now it's a battle against us versus it and we make it this thing that we can attack and people can really visualize that and then soon they become this, this almost like you know, this addiction to gaining ground toward what was once them. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, this is kind of a slightly different angle, but you know, you're working with them physically, you're working with them mentally it, for my own personal you know, satisfaction. Let's call it that. You know, what are you telling them to eat? I mean, is, do they have a specific diet when you're bringing them through, through a program? Yeah. So we, we've had some really great partnerships out here, uh, both from a dietitian standpoint and from uh, some nutrition companies. Um, we always talk about getting their metabolism revved up. So eating more frequently, right? So the idea of five or six meals a day, eating every two to three hours, smaller portions, the right types of things. I mean, there's some sort of cornerstones we talk about that's, we'll talk about the 80-20 rule where 80% of the time we're prepared, we make the, the decision that we know is gaining ground toward our goals. And 20% of the time, stuff happens, life happens, depending on um, you know, where, where their sites are set in, in competing and whether that uh, diet has a direct impact on that. But typically we talk about fins, feathers, and fiber. So fins, nice. fish, uh, feathers, turkey or chicken, uh, and then fiber, you know, your greens. And, and we like to focus around carbs early, protein throughout. You know, do we do the paleo thing? Well, some guys it may be a fit. Others, I try to talk a little bit about ketogenic dieting and ketones and mm -hmm. how we're pairing up good, good sources of fats with good animal proteins. 
Um, you know, there's an ability for us to, to overdo the diet thing. Like <laughs> we love to, to, you know, these macros and I'm charting this and, and, and that works for some people. A lot of the time we just want them to realize what a mindful choice is and, um, then be in control when the situation comes where they say, Hey, look, I'm starving right now, but I have to go to something nearby. What's a mindful decision if I'm at Chick-fil-A? Right. That's good. Uh, and supplementation is, is another thing we begin to add, uh, depending on you know what their caloric needs are. A lot of these guys are in the kind of weight loss category. There's a couple that look to gain weight and muscle mass, and so it's a very you know individual based, specific to them type of catering. Right. Absolutely. Uh, that makes sense. I mean, if if what you say is every everyone is every person's an athlete. Right, they're gonna all have a specific diet. Everyone's different. They're gonna, I mean, especially people with these sort of injuries. So, I mean, I, I personally, I'm just curious because, like I said, I'd have no idea, you know, what to do with with someone in that situation. So it's tough. All right, um, give me an example of someone, and you know, don't feel please don't use any names, you know, but um, someone who's really struggled. Someone that's, you know, it's it's it seemed they they seem like they're impossibly. Um, stuck in their situation, you know, maybe they haven't recovered. Maybe they have. Give me an example of that and kind of how you, how you're working with that person. Yeah. Well, this is a profound story and the impact it's had on my life. It's vast. So I'm late one day getting home. My wife's texting me, you know, some unhappy words. She's, (laughs) she's got both kids. They're crying that same story. And I, my problems are so big, right? I'm stressed out, blah, blah, blah. And I'm cutting through a Starbucks parking lot to try to beat a light in traffic. And I see a guy in a wheelchair with no legs. And um, I just feel this massive tug on my heart. And you know what? Um, a real wise man once told me that you can serve without compassion, but you can't do compassion without service. Uh, compassion is never convenient, right? Like the story of the Good Samaritan is profound in that sense. Like how many people walk by and then even, even the man who stopped had every justifiable reason not to. And quite frankly, not only was it not convenient, but it was dangerous. Uh, and in this sense, I, I, I felt this tug in my heart. And I listened to it. I slammed on my brakes. I whipped it next to him. He looked at me like I was going to rob him, uh, startled. And I looked at him and I said, hey, you got blown up. And he looked at me like, all right, bro, tell me something I don't know. Uh, and I said, hey, man, look, here's my card. I don't have a lot of time, but tomorrow uh, you and me are going to work out at 10 a.m. So I'd love to see you at my facility. And I started to put my car in reverse, and he says, bro, who are you? I said, man, I, I used to play in the NFL. Uh, it, you know, that's pretty irrelevant. I said, but look it up, and you're going to find humor in what I just said. <laughs> uh, but he, he just beyond confused, uh, and he didn't, he didn't look good. I mean, this guy just looked like you could see the pain in his eyes. Uh, so I left, man, and, and got home, dealt with that, and the next morning he showed up. Well, not knowing – he had just gotten out of drug detox, was addicted to heroin, uh, literally was sleeping with a pistol on his lap every night, wondering why swallowing a bullet didn't just fix everything. Um, I didn't know this at the time, but he comes in and we start his nine-week program. And through those nine weeks, uh, we get him completely drug-free. Um, he now has a place to go where um, you know he, he can just try to pursue – something greater than what he was currently feeling. And, uh, you know, for three times a week for those, for those 90 minutes, he could come and, and have something to do to replace, you know, 
put a constructive habit where there was a destructive habit. Um, and then you fast forward, uh, we sent him down to San Antonio to get consultation for his prosthetics. And he's a very high hip articulate, high amputee. We weren't sure he was going to be a good fit. Turns out not only is he a good fit, but they looked at him and they said, man, your, your year integration on the prosthetics has been cut down to four months because wow. of the work that you've done. Um, so you fast forward a little bit further and, uh, you know, this guy gets back from San Antonio uh, he's on prosthetics now, and he's going to be the first ever double amputee to summit Antarctica. Um, now, does he still have bad days? Yes. Man, when he got back, San Antonio triggered some stuff because that's where he did his rehab after he was blown up. Um, and, and he got back, and we had to work through some stuff. And although we've, you know, we've worked on his physical, there's still these moments um, you know, with traumatic brain injury and with post-traumatic stress there's uh, this cunningness about those things. And, and, and there's this one day you just wake up in a fog and uh, there are struggles. But the best part about it now is he actually has somebody, not a counselor that he's just telling what they want to hear. He now has a place, uh, a sanctuary, a safe haven where he can go and he can say like, hey, man, I'm, I'm messed up. Um, and that's that's why this is built so so perfectly. I feel like it's it's I don't personally trust an unbroken man. I feel like those that are um, are willing to share their scars or proof that they're moving beyond them. And, and look, we'll have hard days, but no bad days. It's, it's Mm -hmm. this, it's this idea that, man, uh, I'm messed up, you're messed up, but let's both try to be a little bit better today than we were yesterday. And, and that attitude, it just becomes contagious. So yeah, man, there's people that get stuck in ruts. There's, there's depression, there's, there's addiction. There's, um, you know, we just had one of our guys, uh, just got in a really bad motorcycle accident and that's, that's difficult. Those are things that you, but that's life. You know, we're not, we're not I, making it into something that we're not. We're not, you know, the, the Orange County housewives and we try to make it seem like everything is, is this big shiny facade. The truth is, it's like, man, life is messy, but we're here to do it together. Man, you've got your wealth of knowledge, David. So you, you spat out three things that were extremely impactful, even just for me and my own personal life. The first one you said, you can have service without compassion but not compassion without service. And so as you're, you're, you're working at your gym, your, you know, your nonprofit, there must be days where this gets tough. I mean, you're, you're dealing with people, you're, you're seeing the, the, the things that have happened to them, the injustices, whether that, you know, be in war or being the, the fact that they are addicted to whatever they're addicted to. You're dealing with that. How hard is it for you to get up every day, man? And so how do you keep going? Yeah. Well, it, it the breakthroughs are awesome and people see the stuff on social media and they're like, man, I would, it's amazing. I would love to work there. And, and believe me, there's 80 hours that they didn't see that led up to that moment when that guy walks for the first time unassisted. And, and that, that piece absolutely gives you a, a thrust. Um, but the, the thing I'm finding out about, uh, is this idea of compassion fatigue <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it happens quite frankly with caregivers. It'll happen with other people where there's, you know, you're taking on, you're empathizing so significantly with these people you're working with that you begin to, to take it home with you. And, um, you know, I'm really candid about this. It was probably six months into doing this. And I went home one night and my wife and I were in an argument and she said to me, um, what do I have to be missing an arm for you to pour in the same way? Oh, I mean, talk about a, an absolute dagger. But the, you know what it was? It was, a, it was true. And I, I had to own it. And, you know, that the beauty in that was, even though she probably regrets the way she said it, I needed to hear it. Um, and because I needed to hear it, 
it meant that I needed to, to really take an honest look at myself. And so as I began to work through that, I realized like, Hey, um, you know, I can do as much as I possibly can, but at the end of the day, you know, God will do the rest. And I can't think that, um, I have to always take this home with me or that, um, you know, I, I can help everybody in a day because it just, it's not realistic and, and you're going to run yourself out and you're going to burn out. Um, so there's certain times where I think I'm constantly trying to be better at pausing, understanding a little bit more balance in my life. Um, no question about it. That's one of my weaknesses. I, I think because of football, I had this idea that if, if I stopped swimming, you know, I'm the shark in the water. If I stopped swimming, I was going to get eaten. And so, um, taking that same, uh, you know, ideals toward business it's not realistic for anyone. And, and the truth about that is, man, I, I can't be great unless I'm also tending to myself in the same way. So, man, it's a learning process. Uh, I've got some really great mentors and, and an amazing bride who helps to, to make sure that I stay online. <laughs> yeah, I hear what your wife's saying there. You know, God always, often uses those who are closest to us to speak the truth that we most need to hear. And yep. so hearing, you know, your wife say that to you, you know, obviously she might regret the way she said it, like you said, but man, that truth, man, that just speaks to you. And so it's, it's nice to see that, you know, not only are you doing incredible work in your, in your gym and in your nonprofit, but that your family life is growing and changing and moving. So that's, that's really encouraging you know, because I know that, you know, spiritually it can be an attack when you're trying to do work like this, this works of compassion. And so it's good yeah. to see. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, let's transition a little bit out of, of kind of what you're doing in your business and talk a little bit more about you. Um, you know, you played in the NFL. You had tons of injuries. I remember being in Seattle with you in 2011. You know, you had that shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about your transition out of the NFL and kind of, I don't know what, what your story was. Were you in limbo like I was? Um, give mm-hmm. me a little bit of uh, a little bit of insight on that. Yeah, it's funny because the word success is is defined differently for all people. And, and my definition of success is actually using your gifts and talents, um, but using them in such a way that brings you fulfillment. And as, as much as the NFL was always my dream and I accomplished that dream, uh, it's funny because when you place all of your worth in something like that, it falls short and you realize, like, man, that, that wasn't the fulfillment I, I sought. And as much as I always, you know, tried to give the glory to God and what my football life was, the truth was, was I kind of held on to it. It was like, I allowed the Lord to be my savior, but I, I kind of made David my own Lord. And that was a dangerous point. And, and what happened is football and injuries piled and things began to really crumble uh, is I coped. It was painkillers were easier than actually dealing with this idea that I didn't know who I was without football. And so I, I did, man, I went down this rabbit hole and I just decided to numb myself. And, um, you know, pretty soon it was out of control and the physical dependency was imminent. And, um, you know, I, I, I finally looked at my wife and I said, look, uh, I need you to, I need to check into a hospital. I need help. And so through a seven day detox, I lost 34 pounds. I had two seizures. I couldn't, couldn't even hold a cup, um, much less stand up in bed. And, 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 Talk about playing in the NFL to that. I mean, that's that's bottom, bro. That's rock bottom. And, and that bottom was so, so incredible. Uh, and I mean incredible in, in the most and best and worst ways. It was – I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, but at the same time, man, did I badly need that. Mm. And I needed it because I needed to – I needed David to realize that he wasn't God. 
Mm. Um, and man, was that, that painful. <laughs> uh, I was really, I was going through life and I was making decisions based on what satisfied me. And I wasn't turning to face this giant snowball that was building speed down the mountain behind me. And so, yeah, it, it flattened me for sure on my face. And, and, uh, uh, it was also the best, the Genesis for what I'm doing now. And so, uh, I, I would not want to do it again, but I absolutely wouldn't change it because there's this profound new David that's been birthed from that. And I, I, I just, I took a year. Um, we I surfed a lot. I, uh, I went to a ton of, of, of meetings and counseling and church. And I just really sought the Lord and, and was really broken probably for the first time in my life, truly broken. Um, and then it was time to get back in the NFL. I had rehabbed my injuries and that's when I got that call. I think I got a call from the saints and one from the Cowboys and I just didn't feel it. It just, it was, I just knew it was time to turn the page. I didn't know why, even though I felt like I had snaps left. So I chose to retire and, and that was the, the process that led me to Dallas ultimately led me to say, well, maybe coaching and scouting is not right. And, and this gym could be it. And, uh, that brings me up to where we are now, man. And, and wow. that transition, man, it's, there's no drug in the world, like running out on an NFL Sunday. <laughs> Amen there's to that. Just, you can't rep. It's a. It'd be drinking. You know, you're drinking uh, Cristal, and then you go to some boxed wine, some Franzia. Um, it, it, it's it's very difficult to identify. And, and these warriors, they're not that much different. And the truth is, is they were really, they really were at the the, the actual battlefield. Um, you know, they're used to running into battle, giving orders, taking orders, and they're ripped from that. They have all this extensive training and this this tunnel vision toward this physicality. Um, and then now they're back stateside, and they're like, well. Yeah, I could get a job at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, but I, they don't understand me. I don't know how to export this this you know fire inside of me. And um, yeah, like I compete in the gym, but it's still troubling for me at times because I miss I miss the rush of laying it on the line of putting yourself in the most uncomfortable of circumstances and seeing how you measure up. And that's that's the piece that is still difficult to this day. It's like. Yeah, what is it where I can go out there and I can really channel the David, the, the the warrior, the apex predator inside? Yeah, and you know, truthfully, I've struggled with that as well. I mean, every time I turn on an NFL game, you know, I look at it and go, man, well, why don't I just you know rehab and get going and, uh-huh. and get back out there because of that fire, uh-huh. that warrior mentality burns, and it's not that difficult. You got your agent's number, you know. Yep. Let's let's figure it out. Maybe I'll go play in the CFL for a little bit and just try to th- and so. That 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 battle of who am I and what am I mean, your identity? Because for so long in the NFL, I mean, your identity is the NFL, and I'm an NFL player, and you're treated as such, and you earn money yep. as such, and people yep. respect you like that. And so there is a, a a large dose of humility that gets kind of spoon fed to you after you leave the NFL. You go, maybe I'm not who who I thought I was. Maybe I'm not, maybe that bravado that I that I touted in the NFL, maybe that's not there. And so um, talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about humility and what it's like to enter into a new business, kind of starting from the bottom. What is that like? Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's scary. And you know, that's the thing is other people are crippled by fear and you know, danger is real, but fear is perception. And we write these false narratives in our mind about how bad this is going to be, or what if this, what if that, and uh, kids, young kids do this brilliantly. Like, they can assess danger, but they just dream freely and they just sort of allow themselves like, I mean, think about, think about Eddie, when you were, you know, eight or 10 years old and, and, you know, you could have been 
an astronaut or a paleontologist or, or a pro football player, but you, you just knew that you had greatness inside of you and you were going to go and do it. Um, and a lot of people kind of just decide that uh, it's not inside of them. They, they make this, they rationalize themselves out of embracing or advancing toward fear. Um, and, and, and what tends to happen is they go back into this comfortable place. And I know that I can try to be smart, but I can't be safe. Um, uh, you know, hmm. the, the crazy show that I did, the raft out there in the middle of the ocean, was, was really because I missed testing myself uh, at the highest possible level to go, man, how am I going to measure up? Can I really handle this? Um, and I constantly in the gym, I, I preach about, hey, guys, if we're comfortable at being uncomfortable, then we're going somewhere. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, this idea of maintenance training doesn't exist. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. There's no, there's no in-between. Um, now, are, are there going to be days where you feel like you're treading water? Maybe. But when you recognize that you feel like that, that that's this brilliant moment uh, of introspection that can actually launch you. I mean, it's funny. The, the atheist actually has more faith than they think. I believe, you know, the agnostic is the scary. That's the scary person because I, I think that in that, outing or in saying, yeah, there is no, this doesn't exist. That's actually that you're putting thought and awareness toward, Hey, um, if this doesn't exist, at least I'm making my mind up and I've thought on what this thing could be. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I believe that in, you know, my greatest faith growing moments are in doubt, but I don't shy away when the doubt comes. I I decide that, man, why is there doubt here? And what am I going to do about it to take it further to either justify this doubt or to actually squash it and say, man, actually, look, there is something deeper behind this meaning. And so that, to me, is critical, is opening the door to uncertainty and allowing yourself the freedom to fail safely because, man, failure is – failing forward is, is the way you grow. I mean, Eddie, what, my last year, we won one game. I think I won nine total games in college. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, losing stocks, man. I, I was around – I think I might have – I don't know. I think I might have won eight or – my last year, we won – two so yeah we probably are the same there (laughs) yeah and that's you know and and you know what there's this funny thing about joy and happiness and this is this is huge too is like your why if it has to do with happiness it's going to fizzle out if your why is tied to joy because joy is not circumstantial this idea that um you know we were losing games but we had this brotherhood we had this this camaraderie this galvanized unity that um, was bigger than us, and that's the beauty of having this tribe. It's like we've been on teams which are rosters and organizations. You see this quite often in pro sports because of the money and the the egos and things that you see that uh, they're a list, they're an organization, they're a list of of guys that play a position. But the teams that that really catch spark are sometimes the, the untalented or the less talented team, but it has a group of guys that has this common belief in each other and goes out to battle for each other. Then... It manifests, and um, you know that's why we're we're so wired for community. We need that. We need this this way to export. So when I got out of the league, it was like, what did I miss most? Yeah, I missed running out of the tunnel, but I just missed the locker room. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I yeah. missed the boys, the brotherhood, and and so what's what I've created here, and what I think why this works is is I feel like we've done that again, and we have this, this place where people can come as they are. Wow, incredible insight there. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and lay it out there. I mean, it, more explicitly, your faith clearly plays a role in what you do. 
Um, talk, talk a little bit about that coming out of what you came out of your story after your transition out of the league. Yeah. You know, what role did faith play in that? And then even in starting your business and, and talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So faith, it, it's, I'm not the person like, can I quote you a Bible scripture for what you're struggling? You know, maybe I can pull a, a, the kind of standard ones that you typically hear, but, um, you know, my gifts and talents I think are around being an encourager and God, I used to use my gifts and talents for David and like, you know, I, I always knew how to throw a party. Um, and, and where I used to do that in partying and, and, and trying to, you know, light myself up and, and, and avoid my things. Now I use it and I leverage those same gifts and talents and I can throw a party, but I can do it for good. And God and my faith is a big cornerstone in that. So, um, I always tell these guys in here, one of my assistants one day in the parking lot said, we we're working with a girl who was getting closer to walking on her own. And, um, out, outside in the parking lot, he says to me, man, do you really think that she could walk? And I about punched him because I said to him, I said, grabbed him and I said, bro, that's not for us to decide. I said, we are here to supply the opportunity, but the big man upstairs, God will ultimately decide whether she takes her steps and is able to do it. I do believe that it's inside of her. And when people are willing to deal hope, uh, you know, to, to believe in the impossible, like this whole curriculum I'm writing, the first thing I do when I train the trainers, I say to them, look, this right here is a guidebook. It's not a rule book. These are meant to be broken. But the cornerstone of all this is believing, believing in the divine power. Whether you have an active faith and a, and a, and a spiritual relationship with a higher power, I'm going to tell you right now that if, if you really want to be the trainer that's necessary to give these people this opportunity, you need to explore that. Mm. Because this is about something greater than us. And I believe that when, when you admit, hey, God, look, I'm broken I got these problems, but I'm I'm willing to push myself because I believe that you're at the center of it. Good things happen. It sounds like to me that your adaptive training, I mean, the philosophy behind it, and and pushing them you know, into the psychological, you're pushing them in the spiritual as well. I mean, uh, I don't think you could accomplish what you're accomplishing. And this is me, you know, being a pastor saying this. I don't think you can accomplish what you're accomplishing. Um, without this X factor element. And some people, you know, would call it what they call it, but obviously I call it God and, yep. and you do too. So man, I, I, I'm blown away by the depth, not just the width, but the depth of what you're doing here. This is incredibly deep. This is not just a mile wide and an inch deep. Certainly. Certainly. I, I it, it's so it's palpable, man. It's, it's literally like people talk about the feeling inside of here and it's, it's not because the music that's playing. It's because there's this, um, you know, I, I remember this is an interesting one. This is this, this still gives me a little bit of conflict as I think about it. Um, I remember being in an AA meeting uh, in Seattle after I'd gotten out of rehab. And um, <laughs> I remember you know, there's certain acronyms for the word God. And some of them, like there's one uh, good orderly direction. And, and there's a bunch of them. But one guy in a meeting said a group of drunks what God stood for. And I remember, you know, I grew up in the church and I had this, this faith and I remember it pissed me off. I remember thinking, what? Like I wanted to grab this guy and hash it out. And, um, you know, the beauty of the, the format of the meeting is I, I had to sit there and marinate on it. And, uh, as I started to think about it more and more, I began to get this clarity around it because what Jesus didn't run with was a bunch of holier than thou's. You know, he, he ran with the, the disciples were a ragtag bunch, man. And uh, what I was with in that meeting was a ragtag bunch. But that was a ragtag bunch 
who is surrendering their will to say, hey, God, when I take the reins, I mess it up. So I believe that when people come together in brokenness, that God comes in and fills the void. And that, to me, is what he meant, right, in that, in that acronym. And it was tough for me to swallow because God is the God of plays with lightning and, and the great I am. But, mm-hmm. but you know what? He is never so big that he doesn't come to the low-bottom drunk. And guess what? When I, I would rather be around a bunch of low-bottom drunks who are trying to be better than a bunch of you know, classic Pharisees or a bunch of billionaires that claim that their life is so perfect. Amen. Amen, man. You're giving gospel here. I, I just love listening to you talk. I mean, when Jesus talks about um, the, uh, man, what's that? What's that verse here? It's early over here, you know, one hour early, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I need a little coffee. But when he talks a little bit about, um, you know, Jesus comes for, he doesn't come for the healthy, but he comes for the sick. Right. And he he waited the, out in the water with him. Yep. Amen. Yeah, exactly. And, and conversely hearing that it's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of an eel than it's for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, maybe he's not specifically talking about wealth, but, right. um, you know, it's yeah. tough to look for God when you're comfortable and yeah. when you're, when, when, when you feel like you don't need him. Yeah. And so when you're at the bottom, whether that's alcoholism or, you know, you're addicted to whatever you're addicted to or, whether you've got no arms or legs. Yeah. I think that God enters into those scenarios and speaks to people, whether that's through, you know, his mighty men like you or whether that's miraculously through the spirit. So it's really awesome to hear, man. Man, I like that. I'm going to put that up at the gym, definitely on the whiteboard. It's tough to look for God when you're comfortable. It is. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're coming up on time here. This could go on for hours. I'm sure I'd love to have you back. <laughs> I'd love to have you back on. Um, but before you go, you know, tell me about this raft, uh, the show, man, that was an incredible show. Dude, how the heck did you end up on that show? Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> so lots of good media around the foundation. And I got an email one day from a, a film producer in LA. And actually the email said, Brian Catalina entertainment. And, uh, I just called the number back. I didn't look him up or think about it twice. And I called him and started bragging on how friggin' proud I am of all these guys in, in, in the foundation and what they're accomplishing and telling him just through excitement and what it is. And he says, he finally interrupts me and says, Hey man, I love it. I love it. I love your passion. This is great. Uh, but I actually, I want you for our show. So I said, what, what TV, like a TV show? What do you mean? He said, well, you know, how, what's your water experience? And I said, well, I, you know, I shower daily. <laughs> Um, and he, he chuckled and he said, well, you're perfect then. And I said, well, what is it? He said, well, how would you do in the middle of the ocean on a raft for six days without food and water? <laughs> <laughs> I said, bro, uh, first and foremost, I got some Navy SEALs I trained. They would be perfect for this. Uh, he said, no, look, I got Navy SEALs. I, what I want is you. And I said, well, brother, I doggy paddle. And it seems like the middle of the ocean's not really inclined for that type of swimming. Um, <laughs> and he said, well, look, think about it. Um, you know, talk with your wife. I said, man, my wife's pregnant right now. You want, you want me to go out and build an ocean? This is, this is crazy. Uh, so I told him no and hung up the phone. I went home. I told my wife about it. We kind of laughed about it. And I said, honey, how much would they have to pay me? And she's like, well, they'd have to pay you at least six figures, but it would have to be big. And I said, I kind of laughed. Like, yeah, that's not going to happen. It's reality TV. Right. Um, and Brian Catalina's produced uh, Deadliest Catch, Swamp People, uh, Ultimate Survival Alaska, some really awesome shows for National Geographic. Wow. So I get a call back from him the next day. I answer and he says, did you think about it? <laughs> I said, you 
son of a freaking i'm like of course i thought about it are you kidding me you planted the seed in this yeah. guy that doesn't like to turn away from anything and so he said well look i can tell you a little bit more about it you'll have a partner on the raft and you know this this that and the other so over the next month or so we worked out the details and uh somehow my wife says here's how she describes it she says look i know who i married i didn't tell him yes but i knew i couldn't tell him no <laughs> that's awesome so I committed to doing this. They fly us to Puerto Rico. Uh, they take us basically on a six-hour boat ride um, to the middle, middle of the Bermuda Triangle. Um, you have a partner that you get on this raft with that you haven't seen or met until you literally jump out of the water, jump into the raft from the water. So you swim through this little debris field, grabbing some stuff, and you jump into this four-foot by four-foot life raft with a soft bottom. There's a, a kind of a rig that holds three cameras on the raft. There's a diary cam, and you have a GoPro for diving, but. Your support boat is as far away as possible unless something crazy happens. I mean, they are out of sight. So it is the most realistic experience. And, um, you know, right from the get-go, seasickness is brutal. You think, okay, the Caribbean, it's warm water. Well, it's basically like being in a desert because you can't drink the water. You are at war with the elements. It's miserably hot during the day and freezing cold at night. I mean, one night it was seven-foot swell. We had 48 degrees and oh. a thunderstorm. Like, and it, when, believe me, a, a, an open lightning storm on the open ocean, it sounded like God dropping his fist down from heaven and stirring the pot. I mean, wow. And not to mention, you got a, a metal rig that's holding up your cameras. And so you're thinking, like, okay, man, I, I've done the math here. I'm pretty sure that we're a lightning rod. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was. It was. It was interesting. My partner, she was a retired cop from Boston, and, and uh, an interesting character. She's she, initially we make a pact that we're not quitting because if she taps, we're both out. There's this this kind of opportunity to put a social experiment on, and that's what this whole premise of the show is like. Can they survive? There was no prize money. It's like can they last? Because eventually they're going to run into land. They plotted it with our sea anchor, which is basically a parachute under the water that hmm. pulls us toward uh, this deserted island that will hit in six days. Um, and so it was like night two, and it's miserable. I mean, you're wet the entire time. You're covered head to toe in salt sores because the abrasion is miserable. Oh. And um, I'm, I'm 100 pounds heavier than her, so anytime a wave would crash over, basically you'd be at your face in water. Um, couldn't stand up. You know, there's a camera box banging into your shins. It's just the epitome of enduring well. Um, and so night two is miserable, and she decides that she's done. She says, I'm done, I'm out, I'm quitting, I can't do this. So I'm not going to lie, in that moment I thought to myself, well, and I could actually be back at the hotel tonight. <laughs> she could be the <laughs> scapegoat. I'd be comfortable. I'm going to get paid the same anyway. Um, maybe that's a good option. But in that moment I thought of a couple things. First I thought of, well, I know she told her kids that she wasn't going to quit, so I'm not going to let her. The second was I, I made a commitment to my family and to these guys, these warriors, and I know what they've gone through. I can draw from that. I can keep her on this boat, and I'm going to stay. I'm going to see this thing to the end. I'm going to finish the race. So it took everything I had in leadership styles. At first, I was encouraging her, and then uh, a reminder of our pact, and then what she told her kids, and a little bit of tough love, and then eventually it was like I tried to distract her with some stories, and what nothing was working, so I just finally turned my back, and I gave her tough love. And I just let her quite honestly sit in the bed she made. And um, you know what? She lasted. She ended up staying. And uh, we ended up making it the whole time. It was, our raft was losing air by this time. And we're pumping it up every hour on the hour. And you're sleeping for, 
you know, 20 minutes at a time, but you're, you're so dehydrated and hungry that you're, you're starting to speak and you lose your train of thought because you can't even keep your brain concentrated on one thing for long enough. And, um, you know, it, it was the perfect opportunity to see how I measured up. And I'm really glad I did it. I'm proud of what I put on film. Uh, it, it's something that I can say I did. Will I ever do a survival show ever again? No. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but it is another thing, you know, that I can speak on. It's like, hey, I'm actually going to go out. I didn't just play football and then kind of get comfortable. It's like, man, there's always going to be another ridge line for me. And if not, um, I'm not going to be the best David for those in my life. Mm. Wow, what an what an incredible what an incredible story, dude! I, I there's no way I could have accepted that. I mean, I'm just too much of a there's just I, 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 there's no way, man. I just like I panic, I get horrible anxiety in moments <laughs> like that, dude. You're I you know honestly, when I saw that you were on that show, I thought, you know, what's one person that could actually would actually do that and do it's you, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, man, I, a couple of things like I don't I've never skipped lunch, much less you know, six days of meals. And I did, I lost 23 pounds and my abs were all sticking out all awesome. And, um, I, I night when, when the salt abrasions really hit me, but I was also, it was the first time I'd ever had such significant hunger pains that I could not sleep. And, um, wow. it was interesting. I got emotional because it wasn't just thinking about kids in third world, third world countries. It was thinking about man, even in our own country, how many kids go to sleep hungry, but can't sleep. Um, wow. wow. It was so really, really tough moment for me. Cause I just, I, I got emotional. And I felt like, man, this is terrible. And so again, in our life, we, we, we think we're more connected than ever with our phones and our computers and everything, but we're actually more disconnected. And, and if you really unplug from all that, that craziness and you find a way to just like out there, I mean, it was nothing but time to think nothing but time to, to sit out there and reflect and you, I would challenge anybody to, to in, intentionally pause from time to time in their life and go and, and just be out in nature, just turn everything off and, and reflect on like, man, what's my why? Where am I going? Why, why do I do these things? Like uh, the idea that you said earlier that it's tough to look for God when you're comfortable, put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and let it refine your spirit. Let it really speak to you because – in the moments of the hardest distress, that's when your truth and your true self begins to unveil. Wow, man! What what an inspiring story. Uh, even even I mean, from from everything you're doing, from your journey out of the NFL, um, I think God's using you, man. And I'm really encouraged that you're a brother in Christ, and that someone like you is out there down in Texas, um, shaking waves down there doing that, man. So no pun intended with the rap show or anything <laughs> like that. I'm not that smart, but dude, I, before you go, and since you're such a wealth of knowledge. Um, on top of what you just said, what are two or three things that you think can are life changing things that people really need to hear? Yeah, I'm just going to tell one story. I'm walking into a 7-Eleven with one of my warriors, um, and uh, as we're walking to go in, a homeless man runs up and he's he's scratching himself and comes up to us and says, "Yeah, can I get some money? You guys got any spare change?" And I didn't have anything on me, but my buddy uh, Jacob Schick reaches into his pocket. He pulls out a $5 bill, and when he goes to hand it to the guy, he holds on. And so the homeless man grabs it, goes a step away, and, and, and realizes he can't pull the bill free. And so he turns back, and he makes direct eye contact with Jake. Jake looks him right in the eye, and he says, you're, you're worth it. Let's go with the bill. Mm. Completely flabbergasted, uh, the homeless man takes a step towards 7-Eleven and turns back. And he looks Jake right in the eye again, and he says, what did you just say to me? 
Jake really casually, slowly lifts up his pants leg to reveal his prosthetic leg. And he says to the guy, what I did for this country, I did for you. You're worth it. And I want you to know that you're worth that money. <laughs> Dude, Amazing. I thought we were just going in to get Gatorade. <laughs> and and this happens. And, and guess what? The guy, he doesn't go into 7-Eleven. He turns and he actually, he, he, he dumbfoundedly walks around the building and disappears. And look, I, I wish I could tell you that that guy is now doing something. And he very, very well may be. But the bottom line is what Jake knows and what Jake knew in that moment was he had the ability to deal hope. I love this phrase. I use this quite often, hope dealers, right? So instead of dope dealers, let's be hope dealers. <laughs> and, uh, and Jake knows that. And he had this opportunity to uh, you know, do something for someone that could perceivably do nothing for him. And that, again, goes back to that service and that compassion. And you know what? Um, I believe that if people would all acknowledge their own worth and realize that within their sphere, within their community and their environment, they have this amazing ability to deal hope that is not out of reach. Like we love to say that leaders are those that change the world because we put it conveniently out of reach for ourselves. But if we actually say, man, there's someone at Starbucks, there's someone at this place, there's somebody at my church or, you know, even at home that I can do for my own family that's going to deal hope, man, that becomes this ripple effect that we're talking about. And then, and then I believe that the world now does get changed in the smallest things and then the big things channel after that. So uh, that's sort of a closing thought for me. I believe that, that we can find fulfillment if we just are aware of these opportunities in our daily life. Incredible advice, man. I, I think everyone that's listening to this is, is going to be profoundly impacted. I'm profoundly impacted just talking to you, um, brother. I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by, your, by what you're doing, like I said a million times throughout this. But honestly, your personal growth and some of the things that You've just said these little nuggets of wisdom are, are are cutting to my core. So I thank you for being on, man. Brother, I enjoyed it, man. Look forward to next time. Absolutely. So before you leave, where can we, uh, where can the f- listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, man. The first and foremost would be the website for the foundation, uh, adaptivetrainingfoundation.org. Uh, please go there, check out the videos. I dare you to watch them and not uh, reframe what you look at yourself like and what your problems really may be. Um, you know, everybody's dealing with something. Nothing's, you know, no person has the right to say one thing's bigger than the other. But um, these guys and what they embody and what this program is doing is really, really quite, quite amazing. Um, so go there or add me on, uh, on, on Facebook, Instagram, social media, just David Vibora, or add Adaptive Training Foundation on all those same social media sites, uh, Twitter, at Vault Training. Uh, I look forward to you know, hearing from anybody that listens to this and reaching out. And, and again, um, you know, I'm glad that you guys are listening to Eddie because uh, he is one of the young, brilliant minds, and he really, really cares. And that fact that he's pouring and investing in people is going to be a huge, huge um, you know, leap, leap stone for you and your church and everything that you're doing there in Utah. Brother, I really appreciate that, man. Fight the good fight, man. Sharing the suffering and dirt like a good soldier. I appreciate you being on. Love it, brother. Talk soon. Yep. Thanks. <laughs>